So this one was kind of funny because I was driving home from, we, we volunteer at a, like a homeless shelter up in Manchester, and I was driving home from it, and literally it was just a beautiful sunny day out, and I'm driving, and in my mind I'm like, Lord, it's such a beautiful day. Thank you for the sky. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the trees. It was just a really pretty, bright, crisp day out. And I'm s literally saying that to him, and he comes into my thoughts, and he says, a healthy kingdom is one that's on the offensive, not the defensive. <laughs> like, way to change the subject. Like, oh, uh, okay, I got to remember that. I got to remember that. I got to remember that. Say that again. What was that, God? A healthy kingdom is one that is on the offensive, not the defensive. And so he made me, he had brought me to thinking about uh, the Rome, the Roman Empire, right? At its best, it was expanding and expanding. It was on the offensive. It was taking ground. An unhealthy kingdom is one that's just trying to live in protection of the borders that it has, <laughs> right? Trying not to lose ground, right? And I think in my own life, that's kind of where I stood for a long time. Just looking at the boundaries of my own life, trying not to lose ground. I don't want to fall into anything. Right? It's just like that, that sort of thing rather than the advancing. God wants his kingdom to advance. And so we see f since the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and forceful men lay hold of it. What that suffers violence, that word for that means to use or to apply force, to inflict upon. Um, the kingdom of heaven is taken by violence or carried by storm. So basically a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought for with the most ardent zeal and the most intense exertion. The kingdom of heaven does not advance just because. Right? We weren't supposed to be those people who are like, I'll just let everybody look at my life. I'm not going to talk about it with anybody, but I'm going to let them look at my life, and they'll see Jesus. That is, I did not see Peter do that. I did not see Paul do that. I did not see Jesus do that. I did not do, see James or, or John or, or, or any of them do that. I didn't see Jesus teach that even once. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, taken by storm, and forceful men lay hold of it. The ones who are going after it. Intentional. On purpose. Advance, 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 advance. I love the idea, but God, how? <laughs> how do I advance the kingdom? I mean, like in my mind, prior to all of this, I thought advancing the kingdom was telling people about Jesus and how he died on the cross. That's what I thought advancing the kingdom. Has anybody been thinking that? Maybe have thought that in your life? That's how we advance the kingdom. We tell people about Jesus. Um, well, I'll tell you what God told me when I started to ask him a few questions. So, all right, a healthy kingdom's on the offense. So he's, he gave me, all right, Lydia, this is the offensive battle strategy. This is how we do it. When you are adva advancing, number one, you have to go into the enemy's territory. 
You don't advance from inside your own borders. If you want the border to expand, you have to go past the border and bring the border up to that, right? This is where most people, why the kingdom doesn't advance because they don't want to go into the enemy's territory. So first you have to go into the enemy's territory. Then once you're there, you have to be able to target the actual enemy and not the civilian, right? Rules of engagement. We don't wipe out civilians. We go after the enemy. And you have to know the difference between the two. Number three, you then claim ground for your kingdom. That's where the battle is fought, where the, where the civilians come out of agreement with the enemy and into agreement with Jesus. This is where we do our, our march into freedom, right? The enemy loses ground. And then we establish a new order, the order of the kingdom. This is what it's going to look like from here on out. Sounds great, right? All right, God. Let's expound on this a little bit. So how do we advance the kingdom of heaven? First, going into the enemy's territory takes obedience, number one. We must be able to recognize what is the enemy's territory. Anybody know what the enemy's territory is? It says it right there. <laughs> I gave you an outline. <laughs> The world, great, everywhere, <laughs> right? The world is the enemy's territory. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing al along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I want you to understand this. So, the world leaves fingerprints. It leaves a mark, okay? And so the way that I identify the world, I mean, it says it's the possessions, uh, uh, the, the, the desires, the, the lusts of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, that type of stuff, right? So, so when somebody comes to me and they're saying, Lydia, I don't know, I'm just really struggling in my marriage, we're just at, in, at odds, in conflict, da, da 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 I go, fingerprints of the enemy. Fingerprints of the world. I then have a choice to say, I will help or not. Any situation that comes your way that has the fingerprints of the world on it is the enemy's territory. And you have the, the ability and the choice at that moment to say, I am going to step in onto that ground and help bring the kingdom here. You guys get that? John 17, 13, 18, but now I'm coming to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We're making it very clear that this world, uh, our circumstances, our lives, our existence, should not be defined by the world anymore. Right? The part that we play in the relationships that we have, in our home, wherever we go, should reflect the kingdom, God's ground. It's his ground. It's his ground, right? But you're going to have to expect that you're going to be hated. We're not fighting a natural war in reaction to circumstances. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was not fighting a natural battle of circumstance. Right? If his kingdom was fighting a natural battle of circumstance, they wouldn't have brought him to the cross. But there was something different going on. So we're not battling circumstances. We're battling principalities. the things behind the circumstances. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So when situations happen, even in your own interactions with people, we are not to be living in reaction to circumstance. We are supposed to be living in response to God, like a soldier. So the same year that I was learning all of this and God was doing miraculous and crazy awesome things, um, I wake up one day and start getting a text from a bunch of different people saying, hey, did you see what was on Facebook? Mm -mm. Well, there was a picture of me with two other women and this big, long story describing about how we use our church to take in vulnerable women so we can take their children and traffic them. Yeah, that's what I said. One of the women I didn't even know in the picture. Um, it was a, a girl that we had been helping who was just influenced by the enemy very angry in some things, um, had been lied to, rises up, writes this thing, spreads it. It spreads hundreds upon hundreds of times. They're tagging news media in it. They're calling all sorts of news sources. There's my picture up there saying I traffic children. And they're listing our church and our address. And I was just like horrifying. And in me rises up all this anger and offense. And I, I mean, these people, how dare they? We have, we've helped them so much. I can't even, I mean, it blew my mind. That all rises up. And I go, oh, dang. 
I have accusation inside of me. I have offense inside of me. So I go down to my office. Instead of retaliating online and whatever, I go down into the office and I'm like, accusation, you will have no place in me. Offense, you will have no place in me. I break off agreement with you in Jesus' name. Because those things inside of me were like, get them back. Get them back. Get them back. I had, those things were, were really, really convincing <laughs> to start engaging in a natural war, which I'm not supposed to be engaging in. But thankfully at that point, I had had enough eyesight and had been learning this enough to know that the battle was not a natural one. It's a spiritual one, and I have to first get the enemy out of me. Because otherwise, I'll do something stupid and just play into his game. It was hard, guys. It was really, 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 really hard. I was down there, I mean, roaring. Get out of me. You will not. And the lies, you know, just they need to know. You got to defend yourself. Like, just like pouring over my brain and I'm going, get off of my head! You're not me! It was hard because <laughs> they took that opportunity to really try and get agreement. If I was them, I would have done the same thing. <laughs> it was a real, you know, opportunity for them. It was hard, but the, what I did was I fought the, the spiritual battle. Those things had to leave in the name of Jesus. And I could then see clearly for what was going on. The enemy hates what we're doing. Now, I internally, it, none of it matters to me anymore. There's just peace there, <laughs> which is so good. That's where we want to be, right? We have to understand that we are not waging a war against natural circumstance because the enemy will try to come at you with natural circumstance. And if things rise up in you to respond to that, get rid of it. Do you see what I'm saying? Know where the battle's at. Get rid of it. Don't engage with the natural circumstance. If a circumstance rises up and you're already free and clear and good, that's awesome. God will give you wisdom then on what your steps should be. That's great. That's how it should be. But we are not operating based on natural circumstance. All right? We say, God, what is it you want to do? What is it you want to do? I'm your soldier. What is it you want to do? It requires a willingness to give up your earthly rights for obedience to the love of God and be willing to serve even when you are hated. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. We must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. 
He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. We should have that attitude. Where we are willing to leave behind the comforts of our own home, our own circumstance, our own. God has made our life really kind of good right now because it's peace and joy and love and all of that. We're not leaving behind the internal stuff. But I could stay in my family and interactions and my church family and do just fine. But he says, will you do what I did and leave that, go further, into the world, give up your time, your money, your stuff, your rights, da-da-da-da-da-da. Will you go when that person needs to go to the hospital? Will you get up in the middle of the night and go to them, even though you know the emergency room is crowded and you're going to be sitting in a freezing waiting room for hours? Will you... Be the person that that person can come to and talk to, even when you just, you've heard it a hundred times, you don't want to hear it again. It requires a willingness to give up your earthly rights. You have to have the same attitude as Christ. We want to have the same attitude as Christ. For the love of the Father for humanity will I go into the enemy's territory. John, when, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Will you pass the boundary of where the kingdom is to go into the enemy's territory knowing that it could be a suicide mission? Knowing that you might be hated, slandered, whatever, like put on display? knowing that you might have to give hours and hours, days, weeks, months of your time. Will you do it? One of the things that our family does is each year we'll, get, we'll sit around a fire pit. We'll go away and we'll sit around a fire pit and we'll ask the kids, okay, kids, are you guys willing to give one year of your life so that someone can have the rest of their life? And they make the decision right then and there if we're going to take people in and help them that year. Because it's, they, have, they give up their rooms. They give up their time with their parents. They give up their space. They get 
called names. They get treated unfairly by the people who come into our home. They, there's issues, right? Are you willing to give up one year of your life so that somebody can have the rest of their life? And that's the question we all need to ask ourselves. Am I willing to give up X, Y, and Z so that someone can have the rest of their life? Because that's what it comes down to, right? This is why the kingdom barely advances in our area. Because nobody wants to do it. Step one. <laughs> step one, nobody wants to do. But if you get to step one, if you cross over, you join into somebody's circumstance, you, you come in, they need help, awesome. Well, then step two, knowing the difference between the enemy and the civilian, all right? The enemy is not flesh and blood. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. You have to know who is the person and who is not. That person may be in full agreement with the enemy. They may be a slave to the enemy still. But they were made in the image of God. We are compelled by the love of God for humanity to reconcile them to him, to be reconciled to him. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. See that? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our eyes change and we see people the way that God sees people. The love of Christ compels us to tell people, be reconciled to God. This is important because when somebody's gossiping about us, we want to be like, well, have you heard about them? <laughs> We want to engage and see them the way the world sees them. When somebody's rude and mean to our face, whether it's, at, whether it's someone we don't know, at a grocery store, a checkout, whatever, like rude, disrespectful, our, we want to respond back in that way? Absolutely not. My sister Kendall was sharing something the other day. She had gone into this office to get something notarized. And she's like, I was in a great mood, went in, and 
the secretary uh, like practically bit my head off. Don't come near me. You're not wearing a mask. Da, 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 da. Like, and she knows this woman. Uh, and and she, she said immediately she felt like intimidated and <laughs> whatever. And uh, like the woman, she said, was just so, so rude. Like so rude. Like beyond. And she had to go... She had to go out and get her license to be notarized, whatever. So she went out, and she was, like, crying because it took her so off guard. And I don't remember what happened in that moment, but she came back in, and, and instead of she was planning on coming in and being like, what's, what's your problem? <laughs> like, why'd you do that? But instead she came in, and she saw her, and she said, are you okay? And the woman broke down crying, and she said, it's the anniversary of my husband and my son's death. They had burned, her house had burned down, and they had died in the fire. My so-and-so just died a week ago of COVID. Like, she just had all of this stuff. She's like, I'm not okay. Had Kendall responded in the way that the world operates, it would have just added to the chaos of what was happening on that woman. But she decided to see her the way that Jesus sees her. Something's wrong. Happy, healthy people don't respond this way. <laughs> Are you okay? And it allowed that woman to actually share what was going on. We have to let our eyes be changed so we see the difference between the enemy and the person and not engage the way the world engages. Does that make sense? Okay. Then we're going to effectively reclaim the ground for the kingdom. Overcoming evil with good. That's how we do it. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to, av to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not lose ground, gain ground. Right? This is how you do it, right there. Romans 12. That's the blueprint. Overcoming evil with good. This is where we meet the person and we begin to do the 
breaking off agreements with the lies and coming into agreement with Jesus. But part of coming into that place where they would even receive that is by loving them well. Right? Loving them well. Not holding people's sins against them the way that Jesus doesn't. Heaping coals on them, not repaying evil for evil. Show hospitality. Invite people in. Honor one another above yourself. Hate what's evil, but cling to what is good. Right? It's important to know that we're calling people out of darkness, not joining them in it. Right? When we meet with somebody and they're going through a rough time, and they're speaking all of this stuff that's not true about them or God or the person that they're dealing with or whatever, we are not joining in to that narrative. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so no, we're calling them out of the lie and into the truth. <laughs> this is who you really are. This is got what God really says about you. No, God is not the one doing that to you. That is not God. That is not God. That is not God. No, that person, no, we're not going to talk about that person that way. God wants to bring you peace. He wants, he wants you to know his presence. He wants you healed. You are not joining them in the gossip, the slander, the chaos. You are calling them out of it, right? Because there should not be any fellowship with us and darkness, right? Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. I've had people that I, I have said, listen, if you want to stay stuck in those lies, that's on you. Call me when you want the truth. Right? I'm not going to join you in that. I'm not joining you. I'm not sitting in that conversation over and over and over again. I'm not doing it. If you want freedom, we can do that. Right? So it doesn't mean just keep going back into the same cycle, the same chaos. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying go in there and bring them up out of it. If they don't want to be out of it, then you say, that's okay. I'm going to love you anyways, but I'm not going to be doing this. I'm not engaging with you in this. We can come into freedom or we cannot. It's up to you. Right? And then when somebody wants to come into freedom, then we say, okay, there's freedom for that. Then you want freedom for that, right? I'll walk them through the seven agreements. Yes, I want freedom. Walk them through out of agreement with, with the lies the thieves, and into agreement with Jesus and what he says. And that's where the battle is done. Right, so the battle's done. And then we win. We kick those things out. They're gone. No longer to affect that circumstance anymore, that person anymore, whatever. And now we establish the new order of things because God has an order for his people. Right? Establishing a new order, Ephesians 5, 1 to 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. God's example. <laughs> Walk in the way of love, 
just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every t opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the blueprint for the new order. You guys see it in there? Right? It's good. It's good. So that's the four steps. The four steps to advancing the kingdom. What's the first one? What's step number one? Go into the enemy's territory. What's step number two? Target the enemy, not the civilian. Know the difference between the two. What's number three? Reclaiming the ground. And what's number four? establishing a new order. Does this just happen? No. You can tell by what it is that it doesn't just happen, right? It takes intentionality. You got to actually make choices in this. All right, this is where we talk about suffering, Wesley. Here it is. Okay, suffering for good versus suffering for evil. First thing that we need to know is that suffering is a byproduct of the world and sin. It is not part of creation, the original design, it is not part of the restoration of all things. There's no suffering in either one of those places, correct? God does not like suffering, okay? It's a byproduct of the world and sin. It is not in the original design, it is not in the eternal design. There are two types of suffering. There's suffering because of bad choices being made, agreement with the enemy, lies believed, etc. And then there's suffering as a willing participant in God's reconciliation plan for humanity, the crossing into the enemy's camp to take ground. It should not be something we try to shy away from, but something we purposefully and intentionally engage, engage in. Jesus spoke about it in going the extra mile, giving the extra clothing, in doing so, you're taking back the authority in the situation, right? He says, for what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Two different sufferings here, right? Suffering because of the choices you're making, suffering because you're doing what Jesus did. You're going into the enemy's camp. 
The beautiful thing is that what the enemy means for evil, God uses for good, right? So suffering is part of the enemy's territory. It's part of it. If you're going into his camp, suffering is there. It's just there. Um, sorry, I had something I was going to say, and then I forgot. Um, it's just there. But So what God does is he says, if you go into the enemy's camp, if you do this, if you go and you do what Jesus did, I will make suffering work in your favor. I will take what the enemy has meant for destruction to destroy people and I'll actually do some awesome things with it. I'll have it produce in you. I'll have it produce perseverance and make you whole. Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is Paul writing. Paul was constantly in the enemy's camp. Constantly. He was advancing 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 and he said and what we see is that suffering produces uh, perseverance it produces character and hope count it all joys my brother when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. God uses suffering to make us whole. He takes what the enemy wants to use to destroy humanity and he turns it on its head. That's amazing because then we can confidently cross the line, right? We can co confidently go like Jesus did because we know it's not going to be in vain. He's going to actually use it. So it produces perseverance, makes us whole. The second thing that God did to make suffering work for us is it allows the lost to be found. If you suffer, if you do this, there will be reward in it. Lost will be found. Ground will be gained. It's exciting. I look back at our life now, the past 20 years of taking people in. This past Christmas, uh, a bunch of our, our, our grown-up kids, the kids that we've taken in who... You know, they're grown-ups, and they were all from the streets, all addicted to stuff, all whatever, that they're just doing excellent now. No, Jesus. They have families. Their lives have been restored. Their children have been brought back to them. Just amazing. A bunch of them were able to come for Christmas this year, and they took a family picture for me and Jim. And we got to see just this beautiful picture of all these people that would probably be dead 
and we love them so much. And what did it take? It took us saying, okay, we'll give you a year. I would do it again in a heartbeat, seeing what I see now, knowing how many lost have been found. It's not even comparable. It's just not even comparable. And I'm telling you, we've had some really sucky days. Okay? It's not to diminish the difficulty, but I'm telling you, the reward that he says comes is worth it. Even the reward now. Right? You become whole. The lost get found. And it also has eternal rewards. He's just that good. He didn't just make it a little bit better. He made it a lot better. If you do this, I'll make you feel better. I'll make you be, be better. I will make people come, like, get saved. The lost will be found, and you'll see it. There'll be a great harvest. And when you come into the restoration, there's so many rewards there, too, for you. If you do it for all who follow Christ, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The one who conquers and who keeps my work until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. That's a big one. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Think about that for a moment. Can you imagine standing before the throne, before the throne of heaven? Can you imagine standing there with the masses there? And he looks at you and he says, Come here. You conquered. You stayed till the end. You did it. Thank you. Come sit with me. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Jesus will talk about you to his dad. Suffering is us doing what Jesus did. Could Jesus have stayed in heaven and maintained all that was good? He chose to go into the enemy's camp, which meant he was going to suffer. Right? And he chose it. He was obedient even unto death. And he says, will you do the same? Because people matter to me that much. If you could see people the way I see people, I love them. 
Will you love them with me? And I know it will be hard, and I know you will be hated, because that is what the world does to those which are not its own. But I will take that, and I will reward you. I will reward you in your lifetime, and I will reward you for all of eternity. It will be worth it. Do you see it? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Uh, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you go in and you engage, and you advance the kingdom, you are not giving up your internal inheritance. You are not giving up your peace. You are not giving up anything that we've talked about. You are still redeemed. You are still new. The enemy has no home in you. You still have the fullness of the Spirit of God inside of you.
You do not lose any of that. None of those things will separate you from the love of God. That's in Christ Jesus. None of it. So suffering is only a negative thing for a believer if you're not equipped in maintaining a vision to overcome it. It does not have to steal your inheritance or touch your identity, but it will if you do not know what is happening and you're not living for something greater. I'm going to say that line one more time. It does not have to steal your, identity, uh, steal your inheritance or touch your identity, but it will if you do not know what is happening and you are not living for something greater. <laughs>